Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 in the New Testament. And the last time the message was titled Relational Conversations with God. And some people say, well, why don't you just call it conversations and why add the relational? It sounds like a double positive. But, you know, we when we have discussions with people, there's many different types of discussions. There's disciplinary discussions. There's you know, talking at somebody, but really not hearing what they're saying. So this whole relational conversations, it's prayer, right? We talk to God and it it grows us and it brings us closer to him and he loves us, but he's not going to trample over our free will. So, you know, Jesus kind of shares three different things that take place, two parables and one incident, which we're going to see today with the disciples and some parents who brought children to him. So Sermon 1 was last Sunday. Uh, if you didn't get it, check it out for free off the website. Uh, because it really, there's really a lot about two things going on, prayer and a relationship with the living God, which is something He desires for us and certainly is beneficial to us. But we looked at the uh, parable of the widow and the judge last time. This morning we're going to look at the... Most people, even who aren't believers, have heard of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? I've heard about that, you know. I've never really read the Bible, but I sort of heard about that. And then we're going to look at this incident with the children. Um, just at, on a side note, a parable was something that it could have been a real event. It could have been fictitious. It doesn't matter. Because what Jesus did was he would draw people into the story, and when they were fully invested in the story, then he would speak about the symbols and, you know, the teachings that came out of that. So, was there a widow and a judge? Jesus, in his omniscience, probably knew that maybe in one of the Roman districts there was this happening. Uh, was there a situation where a Pharisee and a tax collector came up to the temple? No, no doubt. With the religious guy, the Pharisee, he wouldn't want to be close to that tax collector, but the temple grounds was a big place. So that could have been a possibility as well. These are very uh, obvious things that probably took place on a regular basis. But I think what's more important is the message that Jesus, you know, the theologians argue these points, who cares? Uh, the message was, was the most important thing that Jesus was trying to convey to us. So we're going to look at this in five parts, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Okay. Now, just a little one out of five is what I titled Prayer Nuances Recap. If you weren't here, I'm not going to go into depth, but definitely get the message, and I hope I can pique your interest with some of these points. Basically, we were talking about prayer and the things that uh, people of faith and people not of faith ask questions about prayer. So we're gonna, I'm going to go into a few of them, just going to touch on them, then we'll go into the, uh, the story or the parable. So A, unasked for or non-persistent prayer, which was the main point of the parable. Jesus wants us to be persistent. He wants us to come to God on a regular basis. B, answers from God. Sometimes he says yes. Everybody loves answered prayer. Sometimes it seems he says no. Sometimes he says yes, but not now. And we talked about that. 
And I sort of have a fourth answer here. Maybe sometimes we pray and God says, you're in the right direction. Let me tweak that a little bit. Okay. Uh, C, when we pray, knowing the difference between needs versus wants. And he still does want to provide our wants, right? But he doesn't want to give us things that are harmful to us. D, prayer positions and prayer routines. And again, the legalist will come in and say, you have to be praying on your knees or God's not going to listen. And we went through that. Um, people are in a hospital bed. They're laying down. They're praying. Someone's running, running from a bear. They're running and they're praying, Lord, help me. So I don't like the legalism in, in the church. And it turns people off to God. Okay, but check that out. It's a really good point that we, we make. E is the Psalm 66.18 hindrance. F, the thorn in the flesh, the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. That hindrance. G, the mantra hindrance. Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, don't keep repeating yourself like the heathens or the unbelievers do. They think they will be heard by their many words. And that one I'm, I do want to elaborate on, even though we did talk about it, because Jesus himself said, you know, don't do this in prayer. And I'm going to share a story at the end about that. Um, I, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there was Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and they were praying, right? The prophets were praying to their, to their demonic entities. And uh, Elijah was getting things accomplished, but the prophets weren't. And there was a few hundred of them, right? So he started to mock them and, you know, say, how come you're... And they would just keep repeating the same thing. And of course, um, nothing was happening for them. So you see that repetition as the unbelievers or the heathen do. Jesus says, talk to God, right? Talk. You know, God made us with a big brain and a mind and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he made us intelligent beings. He wants a relationship with us. Uh, H, the importance of individual and corporate prayer. I, the ACTS, A-C-T-S, acronym for prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And then J, prayer is basically just talking to God. Having a relationship with God, which is what he wants. So, verse 9 it says, also he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, one, that they were righteous, two, and they despised others. Another problem that we can sometimes see in some churches. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. So check it out. He's praying, but Jesus is saying, He's talking to himself, right? And, and that's a key point there. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So two out of five is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, to give it more punch to understand, right? and it's my job to do all the background when I come up here. It's all got to be done. Um, in that society, the Pharisees were 
very high religious leaders. They wore robes, they had the accoutrements, they would pray in public, and people would ooh-ah at them as sort of the celebrity religious leaders. But they were, their hearts weren't in the right place. It was all show. Now, the tax collectors, on the other hand, well, everybody agreed except for the Roman government, or maybe they did and didn't care, that the tax collectors were despised because they could collect you know, the taxes for Rome, take a little bit for themselves, and they had the weight of the Roman government behind them. Even There's another dynamic, there's a cultural dynamic, where the Pharisees, right, they were Jewish religious leaders, uh, or maybe somebody who had converted to Judaism, but by far, that's where it started. And some of the tax collectors were actually Jewish men who the religious people felt, they're traitors. How could you be a Jew and collect for Rome. Now you see how it gets, when you start reading this parable, you, you see the power in this. So the one who is supposedly hated, right? American culture, every culture goes through this. You don't like this person, you don't like that person, that person's despised. It's this weird pecking order with human beings when they don't have God. And they try to keep that person down. And what Jesus is saying, that person is actually the hero of the story. Remember the, the, the Good Samaritan? We went through the cultural issues there. Right? America, Israel, Rome, it's the same story. Right? The human race is plagued with sin and having this, I'm better than that person. You know, I, I want my place in the pecking order. So that's the background. Right? Verse 9, Jesus said that he addressed this parable to those that trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and they despised others. So this parable addresses pretentious, prideful, self-righteous prayer and behavior that you would think those who claim to follow Christ wouldn't have practiced some of this for the last 2,000 years. Uh, but some have, right? They should read the Bible for themselves. Verse 9, the Pharisee was self-righteous. So let me get into, let me get into some theology let me get that out of the way and then get into the applications, which are the most fun. So, self-righteousness, and you've heard this, right? You've heard this. You hear that in American vernacular. Oh, that person's self-righteous. It's the false belief that we can declare ourselves righteous or morally pure, morally right, spiritually clean in the eyes of God. But the truth is, only God can pronounce us or impute that righteousness to We can't do it ourselves. People think they could earn their way to heaven. Seriously. I'm going to knock on heaven's door and say, Lord, um, I was the pastor of Calvary Chapel. Really? What about all the sins I committed? I have to trust in Christ as my Savior so that those sins can be washed away. They can be somebody paid that price. It wasn't me. It was Christ 2,000 years ago. So that righteousness is imputed to me. And that's actually called another big theological word. It's called justification. Justification. Even in the Old Testament, while they were waiting for the Messiah, we see this in Romans 4, talking about Abraham, that they had to, by faith, rely on God before the Messiah came and could institute this. You see what I'm saying? So it's actually very deep. Some people accuse Christians of following a fairy tale. No, when you start to get into the, the depth of it, the, the moral, the legal, right, the scientific, you say, wow, this is pretty complex. But the average person 
who has no education can understand how to be saved. And that's the beauty of it. Right? You, you follow God. You, you, on your own level, wherever you, you're at in life, just come to Him. So today, even some in religion still rely on their self-righteousness. And it's a huge mistake. Now, verse 9. B, it says, I saved this part for last, it says, and they despised others. You see, this goes with self-righteousness. If you look in the mirror and you say, oh, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you know, you're so beautiful, and you just, you just have this high opinion of yourself all the time, you will naturally look down on others. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm, the religious realm. I'm so right. God loves me. I'm His chosen. I'm this. I'm that. Well, how are you going to look at somebody that's different from you? Right? But when you trust in God for your salvation, you naturally see yourselves at best equal with others, but not better. Right? And that's the key. What, what happens psychologically today, today, things we think of, you go to work, whatever. It's, you know what God says in Isaiah 1? He says, he says to people, reason. Let's reason together. He gave us a, a big brain. Consider it. Consider God is saying what I'm saying. Consider a relationship with me. But if you're going to do it, you've got to do it on these terms. You can't have this caste system or hierarchy that we see in almost every culture on the planet. And people say, oh, not in America. Oh, it happens everywhere, unfortunately. Three out of five. So if you were sleeping, I wanted to wake you up with this one. This one is pleasant prayer versus smelly prayer. So, the Pharisee is basically saying, I am so great, this guy is a loser. And to God, it was odious, right? It was, Jesus said, he's praying with himself. (laughs) Although he thinks he's talking to God, God is not accepting that prayer, right? It's all filled with pride. I, um, I officiated at a funeral yesterday. I'm sorry, Friday. And this woman was an incredible woman. She met, she reached so many people. And somebody, one of the kids or the grandkids came up and said, not bad for someone who was just a housewife. Right? Now, of course, they were related to her. That was a compliment. This woman affected so many people. You could be a CEO of of a company and just care nothing for others. Just spend all your money on yourself. And when you die... What are your accomplishments? Big deal. You invented something. You created a business. You start, Big deal. God looks at greatness by how we treat other people. So, it, I, listen, no pastor likes to do a funeral, but it, it was such a celebration of this woman's life. She just had such an effect on others. And I heard that. You know, not bad for, for a housewife. So, listen, I don't look down on anybody. Anybody. Um, so, continuing on, is that the Pharisee said in his prayers, I, if you, if you follow it, he says I five times instead of focusing on God. And God did not acknowledge their prayer as genuine. Verse 13, the tax collector, on the other hand, his prayer was genuine and it was humble. Where the Pharisee relied on himself, the tax collector relied on God and His mercy. Now, and I like to go into the Greek. Sometimes I'll talk about the words, try to pronounce them. Sometimes I'll just reference it. But in the Greek, when it says that he beat his breast, it was a continual action. So if you could picture the guy, he can't even look up to heaven. 
He's probably ashamed of some things he did. His, his heart is starting to soften and change towards God. And you know what? He just kind of falls on the mercy of God. And he probably has his head down and he beats his chest. And in the Greek, it's a continual action. Have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. I can't do this myself. You know, it's not possible. I know who I am. I need you to redeem me. And let me tell you something. If you came into this church this morning and you say, church isn't for me because, yeah, I've, trust me, you know how many times I've had people say, well, if I walk into that church, it's going to burst in the flames. I'm like, that'd be interesting. So I try to get people to come in and it's never burst in the flames. We have a good air, con- air conditioning and fire suppression system. So, uh, you know, don't look at yourself like that. You know, there's sort of like two types of people in the world and then some in the, in the middle is those that are just so arrogant. They're the hardest ones to reach because they think they're, they, they're, it's godlike. They're godlike or they think they are. And then you have others that just maybe they were told from young what a piece of garbage they were or um, they, they absorbed all the negative things, that they, the pejoratives, and they're just at a point wherever they are in life and they're like, well, why am I here? I'm just a loser. What would God want with me? Man, read the text. If you're listening online or you're here in person, this message is for you because God loves you. He wants you. You already start with an attitude of humility. Go the distance, right? Receive Jesus as your personal Savior. So we look at this, right? Um, When you look at the prayer, again, going in the Greek, when you translate it literally, he's saying, God, be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins. I can't do this. And folks, some of you here today, and you're already Christians. Maybe you've been a Christian for 10 years. Maybe something's going on in your life. And even when we have Christ, we still say sometimes, don't we? Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know? I mean, I do it sometimes. I, I just, I need to go for a drive. I need to go for a walk. And I'm like, Lord, uh, it's just everything's coming down on me. You know, I, I had this... I wasn't prepared. I didn't know that I was going to be doing this funeral, but I knew the woman, and I I couldn't say no. I had the message. My dog was back and forth to the animal hospital. I mean, I don't need to bore you with Pastor Joe's life, but everything was going on in one week, and I just was like, I'm starting to get a little anxiety, you know? Uh, So I just, I go out, and I'm like, Lord, I need your help. Because, like I said, when I do things, I don't do them halfway. I want to give my best. And I'm not going to go to do a funeral and do a eulogy and say, hey, everybody, I, I've had a bad uh, week this week. Hey, can you, whoa, 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 no, it's about the woman who passed. And it's amazing. I begged him. I'm like, Lord, I need your strength. Well, I went in there and it was a beat. She was funny. She had a lot of great things that she said. And it, it was just an energy. And even the people maybe who didn't know the Lord were like, wow. I got to minister to the family. I had an energy that I hadn't had all week. Prayer works. And trust me, it's like, oh, well, because you're the pastor. No, it's not. I'm no better than anybody else. Read the parable, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, and even if when we are believers, we still need God. We still need His help. We still need Him to carry us at times, don't we? So, verse 14, it says that the tax collector went to his house justified. Theology, he was declared righteous by God because he put his faith and trust in God that he could do it. Have you done that today? And if you haven't, 
Don't be ashamed. I'll give you an opportunity at the end of service to do it. Again, it doesn't matter what you did in your life. It doesn't matter what you did this weekend. Um, you know, God is there for you. He really is. Today is the day. Today is the day that you could turn everything around with His power, love, and His help. Amen? Verse 14b. So the, the tax collector, it said, went to, <laughs> he went to his house justified, not the other. <laughs> in other words, the clergy guy, he didn't go to his house justified. He didn't. You know, and I, I hear people, sometimes when I, I meet somebody, I love to just share God, and, and they kind of throw at me all the things that are obstacles to them coming to God. It's like kind of peeling the layers off the onion to get to the heart of it. And they'll tell me, well, you know, when I was a kid, you know, with religion and da, 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 and I had a bad experience. A lot of people have. Don't assume because somebody has a robe or a title or some type of a religious accoutrement that they actually represent God. They could be like this Pharisee. They're just doing it for whatever. Maybe they're doing it for, I don't know, maybe money or uh, prestige or they couldn't make it in the world. So then they go to the religious world. I don't know. I can't get into people's heads. But what the Lord is saying is that it's not all what you think it is because you see some outward appearance, right? Somebody could have the attitude of, of praying and, and we think, well, it's legit. And God's like, yeah, I know their heart. They're really not talking to me. Verse 14c, and he says here, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Excellent. Let God do the work. Let's not do it ourselves, right? Um, it's an important thing. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, that's in Proverbs 3, but we also see it repeated in James 4, 6, in 1 Peter 5, right? And Jesus excoriates the, re- the corrupt religious system in Matthew 6 and Matthew 23. He devotes a whole chapter to it. Now, some people will be like, wow, I, I never read the Bible, but I didn't know that. So Jesus' biggest problem was not with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the thieves, the people who knew that they were doing wrong and wanted to come to him. His biggest problem was with the corrupt religious system because they weren't leading people to God. And not all people in religion do that today either. What are they saying from the pulpits? I'm telling you what Jesus said. You go home and figure it out, right? But I want everyone to be saved because that's what God wants. So I want what he wants. I don't have an agenda here. So continuing on... um, Listen, faith without works is dead. We know that. But works without faith is dead. How do you do religious works and not believe in the one who you're supposedly representing? It's just common sense. right? Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is also dead. Are we praying to God or are we just talking to ourselves? People do a lot of things for a show, right? These TikTok videos, social medias, everybody's whatever. I got a million likes or hits or I just can't even figure that stuff out. But... I don't really care, you know what I'm saying? I just want people to get close to God. So, so I, just, I just want to encourage you, if you've been beaten down by life, if you see yourself maybe as the tax collector, God wanted him, he wants you as well. I can't say it enough, and I can't, I mean, how many different ways can I say it? Verse 15, continuing on. Then they also brought infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child 
will by no means enter it. What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, so four is children are the model. Now, back then, again, going into the culture, it was common for parents to bring their little kids, infants, toddlers, to a well-respected religious teacher and have them, they would kind of lay hands on the child and they would pray over the child. We sort of do um, um, like baby dedications here, right? So this was a practice that went on. Jesus wanted to engage in it as well. And the, di- the disciples kind of jump in and they, they run interference for Jesus. Now we could try to figure this out. The disciples walked with him for so long. Why would they do something like that? Yeah, it's possible that they looked at Jesus and maybe he looked tired. Maybe they felt, well, we're, you know, they kind of assumed the position of sort of his security detail or whatever. And Jesus is like, don't do that. Don't do that. I always have time for the little children. So that's what's going on. Um, And again, the disciples might not have had any nefarious motives, right? But nonetheless, Jesus rebuked them for what they were doing. And today, religion sometimes makes that mistake as well. I can tell you as a little boy, um, I didn't have a favorable picture of church. You know, I didn't really, you know, I went with my parents or sometimes they dropped us off. You know, they didn't really talk to me. I remember as a little kid, right? Um, I'm so blessed by our children's ministry here. I just want to tell you that. Just the, the care and attention that your toddlers and 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 teenagers that they get in this church. We have some just great people who volunteer. And I just look at it and I'm like so blessed. I don't have memories of when I was little and I had a religious system that welcomed me or whatever i mean so i'm just blessed to be a part of what's happening here and thank you all for for being a part of that because those kids should the lord tarry in 10 12 years will they will uh remember they'll have these memories and i talk to adults who are in their 60s and 70s and they still remember a good children's ministry when they were little so that is so important. It isn't like a, you know, who's more important? Let's look at all the important people walking by. Oh, that's so-and-so. You know, he owns 2,000 acres. Oh, that's so-and-so. He's uh, up there in the judicial system. What Jesus was saying is that, um, you know, when you look at the kids, that's where it's at, right? The kids are important. It's really 180 degrees of what society thought. Amen. Verse 16, he said, let the children come to me for such is the kingdom of God. What's so special about children? Well, number one, they're humble, they're innocent, they're trusting, and you know what? They are genuine. Spiritual metaphor here is God wants us to come to him in humility because the kingdom of God is not like the rat race here. And that's the thing. We have to get out of that mindset, especially in American culture, right? Some of you, you got to make a living, right? You're thinking about, um, I probably shouldn't put this thought in your head. What do I got to do for work tomorrow? You know, what's this, this week's going to be tough. It's, it's the rat race, right? It's, or some that are just looking to get higher and higher in their profession. You know, it's this ladder of success and how many people have to be stepped over to get higher on the rung. And, you know, sometimes it's a conscience issue. Do I really want to continue to do this? Is it worth it? But, you know, in, in God's kingdom, it's not like that. The more humble you are, that's when he says, you know what? 
um, I found you faithful in some little things that I had you do. So let me, let me bring you up to this position. You know, let God do it. Verse 17 says, Whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God as a child will by no means enter it. Wow. Why? Because kids don't have an angle or an agenda. Yes, as they get older, they figure out, you know where I'm going with their parents. They, they study their parents and figure out how they can get certain things from them, right? But in general, kids, that's why like to me, even all the, in the schools, like the sexualization of fifth, five-year-olds and eight-year-olds and man, the stuff that's going on in this country is really just pure evil. Leave the kids alone. Let them, let them keep their innocence, right? Jesus spoke about that. So some, it's some, sometimes you look at your, your niece or your nephew or your grandchild and you hold them and you think, kid's innocent. You know, you, you, we've been through, right? We're adults. We've been through a lot of stuff in life. But kids, they're genuine. They're innocent. And we have to protect them. Why? Because they're too trusting. And God wants us to come to Him like those children with that heart and that mindset. So that, that purity, so to speak. Uh, pretty, pretty powerful stuff. I even think about, too, with, um, you know, and sometimes adults look at me funny, like, because, you know, after service, right, I'm out there and I want to greet everybody, say hello, and then the little kids are released, and they can release the little kids, you know, and they all run upstairs, and, you know, um, it's, it's pretty funny. One time I was, I should have never been doing this, I was talking to somebody, I was walking backwards, and we all, you know where this is going. <laughs> One of our well-known kids, who's very energetic, got behind me, and I, before I realized it, he was like a fulcrum, and <laughs> I fell on my shoulder. I learned how to tuck, and you know, and it was cool, and I'm like, all right, this, this is not going to be good. After a week or two weeks, I'm like, there's no swelling, there's nothing. But anyway, um, I wasn't even mad at that kid because kids just, they're just being kids. But, you know, I'm talking to the adults and the kids will come up and they'll, they'll grab my leg or they'll, they'll start, want my attention. So I kind of divide it, right? But I'm not going to stop doing that because I, I love the kids. You know, the last Sunday of every month, I don't have to do this, but I, I rotate my pulpit and I go downstairs and I teach, I teach the most energetic of the classrooms. So uh, I just love pouring into those kids. And I'll tell you this, when I go for surgery, I cover, and I, I'll I say everything from up here, but I say, hey, I'm going for surgery next week. I want your prayers, but I really want your kids' prayers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'll tell the teachers, tell them Pastor Joe's getting operated on next Monday. And have them, I, I literally, I go into that operating room with a gown and a hat, and like, don't, don't anybody take any pictures. Um, and I just go in there and I'm just the peace. I'm like, I got little kids praying for me. I'm good. <laughs> so it's always worked out. Also, Calvary Chapel has a doctrine. Um, and a lot of the doctrine comes from this as well, that God forbid when a child perishes, they go right to be with God. They don't go to purgatory. They don't go to any holding area because th- they have the heart. And Jesus died for their sins as well. They have the heart to have passage immediately into the kingdom, right? Um, it's, it's, just, it's just a wonderful thing. God always has time for the children, and you know what? He always has time for you when you have that heart as a child. Now, big question. People will say to me, but I'm not pure and innocent like a child. You don't know what I've done. It's fine. 
You don't know what the tax collector did. How many people did he rip off? Maybe it bothers him. It keeps him up at night. Maybe he thinks, I've got to find the Jones family or the Williamsons. And, uh, you know, I, I know I ripped them off. Now I'm coming to God. But I, I, I want to make restitution. I want to make right. You don't know what he did. You don't know, you know, his sins. So your sins, his sins, my sins. I lived a whole other life before I became a Christian. You know, so don't, don't do that to yourself. There's a word in Greek, it's dikaiao, which means to be justified, to, to be made as innocent. And I'm just going to hit it, end with this before we go into some more prayer nuances. But um, this is something where when you believe in Christ, you know, you, that, that righteousness, He died for our sins, that righteousness that we were cleansed is imputed. It's an accounting term. It's like all of a sudden you wake up and it's $100,000 in your bank. You're like, where'd that come from? It's imputed to you. His righteousness when you believe in Christ. So that's an amazing thing. And I'll just say this as well. When I became a Christian, I was in law enforcement. And, you know, you have to be tough. You have to be courageous. You have to be fearless. You have to prove yourself. And then I started reading the Bible. Right? I came to Christ and I'm like, oh my goodness, talk about a learning curve. You know, I, I had pride, I had a lot of pride. It took a while for me to understand what Jesus was talking about and how to get my heart right to come before him. So if I could do it, you could do it. If the tax collector could do it, you could do it. You know, just come to him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, no exceptions, would believe in Him, would not perish, but have eternal life. And I really hope somebody today puts their faith and trust in Him. Amen? Okay, so, five out of five, more facets on the diamond. Now, last summer, I talked about the multifaceted diamond, which is a picture of prayer. And when you look at a diamond, there's so many cuts, and it's prismatic, and you see different colors depending on how you move it around. So, I look at prayer like that. Just a few more things and then we'll close. Um, a, God has a problem with self-righteous, prideful, hypocrisy, and looking down on others, especially in prayer and behavior. And that's what this parable is all about. Amen? So where the, where the problem was with this religious leader, the solution was with the children. Right? And how do I get to that point? Humble ourselves. God's not, he doesn't care about our resume. He cares about the position of our heart. He doesn't care what we did to make ourselves wonderful. He doesn't care what we did to harm ourselves if we've trusted in the cleansing effort of his son on the cross. So, B, deceptive manipulative prayer. Okay, maybe you haven't heard it, but I have. You ever hear somebody pray and they're like, Dear Lord, you should grant this thing to me because this is the only option. And Lord, because you're so wise, you will give me my prayer request because it wouldn't make sense not to. That's a manipulative prayer. Okay? It it is what it is. The same tactics that people use to manipulate others, they try it with God and it doesn't work. And people say, people say, that person's getting away with it. Ever hear that? Like we watch TV and there's so much chaos in our country. A person's getting away with it. Well, if they don't repent and they stand before God, trust me, they didn't get away with it. C, the free will obstacle. 
And, and again, this is just stuff that I've heard over the years. People say, you know, I've been praying for this person for 10, 20 years, and I say keep praying for that person. Right? Um, God will, I believe, allow things to happen in our lives if we don't know Him. You know, give us an opportunity for humility so that maybe we hit rock bottom, so to speak, maybe even emotionally, so that we turn to Him and we can be saved. And then He builds us back up again, right? I think about two kings, in, uh, and these, these kings existed. Uh, they're in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, who is probably one of his grandchildren. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God and turned to the living God. And by all accounts, when you read Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar got saved. And he wasn't a great guy when you read history, but it, later in his life, he, he did repent. Belshazzar, on the other hand, um, God was trying to reach him, and he wasn't having it. And he destroyed the Babylonian kingdom because of his behaviors and his heart. So did Belshazzar ever get saved? I don't know. But I I will say this, that your pastor um, lived a life that was not God-honoring. And there were a lot of people who witnessed to me and prayed for me. And eventually, obviously, I got saved. So let me say this to you. Don't ever stop praying for the unsaved. Amen? Even that person that maybe is a famous person, right, that you're like, oh, I really can't stand that person. They're so ungodly. The things they say are horrible, and probably a lot of names could come to mind. But I, um, I say to myself, I try to use reason. Just keep praying for that person. Pray for the unsaved. Pray for the powerful, because if they get saved, then they become a brother or a sister, and they're not so hostile towards the faith anymore. So... You know, I, I try to, but it, listen, just do what the Lord says. St- don't stop praying for the unsaved. Uh, D is what happens when we get in, in the way of our own answered prayer, right? You ever been there where you pray about something and you, you find that, like, you, you know, you want God to do something, but we keep getting in the way, right? And sometimes I look in the mirror and that person in the mirror is the obstacle, Um, to what I'm looking to achieve and accomplish. And you have to come to those terms with yourself. i got to get out of the way. Just let God do it. E is the last one, is what about when it seems the ungodly seem to have everything? The ungodly, right? The powerful people in the world, not just this country, they seem to have it all. (laughs) Remember, in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world so he wouldn't go to the cross so that we wouldn't be saved. And Jesus didn't take it. He didn't say, Satan, no, you don't have that authority. Because when sin entered the world, mankind forfeited God's creation. Now, albeit a marred creation, um, forfeited it to, to Satan. So, um, you know, sometimes Satan will use things to keep people so occupied that they never come to faith in Christ. That's powerful. Now, I know of some that walk away from you know, some status, some powerful position because they want to follow the Lord and their lifestyle is keeping them pulled away from the things of God. And I've, I, I love the song because it's so brilliant. It's a little weird. Um, but the Hotel California, right, from the Eagles, if you really listen to the lyrics of that song, they were talking about the lifestyle that they were in that would, almost had them as prisoners right? But the, the money and the, the, the substance abuse and all the stuff, the, 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 the love, the people supposedly love them, they do love them until they, they're not playing music anymore, then they forget about them. 
Then they just become old rockers after a year, a few years. Uh, but they talked about the lifestyle that really was satanic and kept them in that bondage. It's powerful stuff. So every once in a while you see somebody famous saying, help me, I want to get out, but I can't, right? Um, some people can't live without that attention. Satan will do many, many things to keep people in bondage to this world, to this evil world. Um, so some have walked away, and sadly, I've seen it a few times, not that many, where some who claim to be Christians and love the Lord got what they wanted in life, be it a promotion or another house or this or that. And again, those things aren't bad, but it, they, they just keep falling into the situation where there's another thing. It's like a sticky trap, and it, it catches them, and they can't get out of that trap. And it pulls them away. Well, didn't that person love the Lord five years ago? Weren't they on fire? What happened to that person? No, they're, you know, they, they pursued their dreams of the world. So you've got to be careful. It, every, life is, there's so many, listen, Agur in Proverbs said, he said, don't give, me, don't give me poverty. You know what he also said? Don't give me riches. It's in the Bible. A powerful man said, I don't, don't give me poverty. Nobody wants to be poor. But he said, don't give me riches either. Because he knew what, what, what goes with that. And some people do handle riches very well and they're very generous, but I think it's rare. So, in closing, relational conversations with God. Let me leave you with this. And I can't overemphasize that prayer is talking to God. It's heartfelt. Um, a few years back, and I'm going to speak in generalities, by my house, uh, there was a prayer venue. So I went, my wife and I went, and uh, they handed out sheets of paper they were stapled there were two sheets of paper so i think oh i'm going to go and i'm just going to pray you know pray for the community pray for you know things that are on my heart so we all get this paper and they say okay when we start everybody has to read the prayer that's on the paper to me that's not prayer so what happens is people started doing it and it was so choreographed when they got to me i politely took the papers i fold them in half put them in the chair next to me, and I pray from the heart. And people are like, oh, that was such a nice prayer. Was that on the paper? No. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the community, right? We're in a community. They're the leaders, the, you know, the, the people who are poor. The, let's just pray. Why do we have to read a recite, pr- recite a prayer that everybody's reading the same thing? That's not prayer. So relational conversations with God. We, we have to be like the tax collector who was being like the child. And the tax collector was saying to God, he didn't even know what to say. He's like, I made a mess of my life, God, but I want you. And I don't even know what to do except I'm just gonna, I can't look up at you and I'm just going just gonna to beat my chest and I just deliver me, Lord. Have mercy on me. That's an honest prayer. We can talk theology. We could talk big words like justification, propitiation, atonement. Big deal. But the bottom line is all those wonderful things that were done so that we could be saved... Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? So we don't put the cart before the horse. We come to Him just innocently, without any pretense. And I've been to prayer venues, if, I've been to prayer venues where people, they don't want to pray in public. I'm, and I'm like, why not? Because it, it doesn't sound as eloquent as other people's. I said, get that out of your head. Just pray from the heart. It doesn't, care, it doesn't matter what the other people think. It matters what God thinks. And maybe all those prayers that are so eloquent, maybe they're just not, maybe they're just praying, maybe they're making themselves look good. I don't know. Just pray from the heart. Amen? So relational conversations with God, 
My agenda is just to see people get closer to Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.